Hi, everybody. Welcome to On Marketing. This is Robert. I just wanted to do a little intro for this pod to set it up. Last week, we hosted Alex Convery in our Chicago offices in front of a live audience, and you will hear them in the background. It's not a laugh track. Alex is the screenwriter and creator of the new movie Air, which launched in theaters two weeks ago. Directed by Ben Affleck and starring Matt Damon, Viola Davis, and Jason Bateman, Air tells the story of how basketball marketing guru Sonny Vaccaro, played by Damon, works to convince then-largely running shoe-obsessed Nike to sign a young guard out of North Carolina to an endorsement deal, and in so doing, rescue its flagging basketball division. As you already know, that guard was named Michael Jordan, and the brand they all created is Air Jordan, one of the single most important marketing and brand launches in history. We hope you enjoy this episode. We were really honored to have Alex share his story about how Air got made and what inspired him to write the story. So without any more exposition from me, here's Alex Convery. One final hint, remember that name. I am thrilled, Alex. I mean that word, thrilled, to be joined by Alex Convery. Did I get that pronunciation right? That's it. Thanks so much for coming. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. You're allowed to applaud for Alex. Thank you. I'm going to get you back-to-back applause. Are you ready? All right, that's it. What's your hometown? Western Springs, Illinois. There we go. Let's go. Shameless pandering. It's I'm the marketing. I love it. Look I'm at the that. marketing. You, you know what you're doing. I know what I do. This All is right. a professional. So you wrote this script on spec. Yep. Okay. One, we have spec in our business too, but if you could kind of talk about what that means. Yeah. And then what inspired you to write this particular story with literally you, nobody asked you to do it yep. and you did it on your own. And you're like, All right, maybe this can work. Yeah. Well, as an unproduced screenwriter, Specking is, you know, one of the faster ways to break in. Now, it's also very hard, right? Because you have to write the entire script on your own and hope that someone likes it when you're done. And, um, you know, this is my fourth or fifth major spec. And there's a reason the first four didn't get made, right? Like, it's just very hard. And Although they did make the blacklist. Yeah, two of them made the blacklist, okay. um, which is all well and good, you know, and it, it's certainly something you hope for, but at the same time, you know, the goal is to get movies made, right? So it's, you know, each one was its own, you know, kind of mix of, of emotions, right? Disappointment and happiness at the same time and, and, and all of that. And it's funny because the script I wrote before this one was another spec on kind of brand and biopic. It was about the origins of Marvel Comics. Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, who was the artist, kind of about their rise and then fall. And look, I, I mean, I really loved the script and it got close to where Air did. It just fell apart at the last second. So it was really heartbreaking, you know, and it, it, after that, I was like, I'm not going to spec a true story again because it's just not smart and you don't control the rights. And there's so many reasons not to do it. But, you know, there I was in May of 2020 and was watching The Last Dance like everyone. There's that five minute little segment on Air Jordan and the deal and how it should, never should have happened. And Nike's this third rate jogging company. And, you know, Michael wanted to go to Adidas. And I was just sitting there thinking like, oh, my gosh, this is such an interesting story. And, you know, that's really was the kernel of it is just how interesting. And my first thought was someone must have tried this already as a movie. And my second thought was, you know, God damn it, I'm gonna have to write this, you know, (laughs) there's so many reasons not to. But the more I researched it, the more I believed in it, you know, not only 
again, as an unproduced screenwriter, your script is always at the bottom of the pile when it's going to producers, right? Because it's like, there's no reason for them to read it. So you look for ideas that are familiar in their own way. So, you know, you see the logline of Nike and Michael Jordan and you think, okay, I kind of know what this is about. Now the script has to be good and the writing has to be good, but it's at least a, you know, a slight way into the door. But then it was the character, you know, it was finding Sonny who, you know, is kind of the, the guy behind the guy, you know, I, I don't think the movie quite works if it's about Phil Knight or David Falk or even Michael Jordan in some ways. And then finding... Yeah, we don't want to hear about those people. We want to hear about the, the regular people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Like that's kind of the universality to me of the story. And then, of course, finding Dolores, Michael's mother on the other end of it. It just was like a very human story that ended up being about, you know, this small moment in time that kind of not to be hyperbolic, but changed everything. So yeah, I went out on a limb, inspected, and I didn't tell my agents or my manager or anyone. I literally because they would have said no. They would have said stop immediately. <laughs> Smartly, by the way, like you know, like that 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 would have been sound advice. It was really just kind of a nights and weekend project, you know. Like I would work on it. I mean, really, when my wife went to bed, I just go into my office in the second bedroom and just work on it from like like 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Basically, did, did she know? God, kind of. She she always bugs me because like I never tell her what I'm working on. I get all like artist, you know. Like I'm like she's like, what is it? I, I'm annoying like that. We've got therapy at two o'clock. So yeah, yeah, perfect, perfect. It's down the hall. Exactly. Okay. But no, it took me about a year to write, and um, you know, I sent it off to my my agents and managers, and basically said like, you're gonna kill me because <laughs> I did exactly what I told you I would, and I yeah. wrote another one of these, and they said, you know why did you do that? And, um, but like, you know, they're good reps. So they sent it out and, and, you know, for whatever reason, there was just interest in this one in a way there hadn't been for the others. Um, again, I think it speaks to the characters in the story and just like, you know, the Jordan brand in general and what Michael means to, to, to people. And then it made its way to talent and got to Ben and, you know, then I was meeting with him and, you know, Say so he's saying we want to do the movie. So I want to talk about the Ben thing in a second. Yep. If for no other reason than just for me to say Ben makes it sound like I know what I'm doing, okay. which is so yes. not true. Okay. Two quick things. Yep. One, I predict your Marvel movie gets made. I hope it, you know what? What I always say is like that movie will happen, whether it's my script and I'm doing it, probably not. It's just too good a story, you know, and 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 Marvel is like similar to Air Jordan. I mean, it's just so it's such a foundation of, of pop culture and, and the world we live in today that I just think it's, it's worth examining how it got to where it was. And again, just like this, there's a very human story behind it, which is, I'm not to tell you the whole story, but, you know, Stanley and Jack Kirby were these contract artists in their 40s, kind of at the end of the rope and just kind of like guys in a bullpen and, you know, really in a janitor closet, they created the entire Marvel universe in the span of a year. And it just got too big, too fast. And it ended up you know, it's one of those classic stories that they got everything they ever wanted, but they lost like everything they had yeah. along the way, which like there's a real heartbreak to that, but there's truth in it too. And yet they created the single most important brand in Hollywood IP. Exactly. And you know, it's like, there's a reason stands in all these movies and you know, Jack has passed, but like his name isn't really brought up in the same way. And I just think, again, it's just, that stuff to me is worth examining. Yeah. Interesting. Let's talk about Sonny a second. Yep. So you don't have permission. No. You write the script. Yep. You know, decide with your agent for the only time in this podcast. Yeah. You know, it's no small thing. Yeah. So you're like, I got to talk to Sonny. Talk to me a little bit about how that came about and what that discussion was like. 
Yeah. So once the script got out there, I had a decision to make about what, which production company to go with. There were a couple that were interested in coming on as producers. And I ended up going with this company, Skydance and Mandalay, who had kind of an inroad to Sonny. You know, they had a personal connection with him. And I just figured, gosh, that probably, if there's any chance that this gets made, that's probably the route to go. You know, hindsight being 2020, it ended up being, who knows how the other companies would have gone about it. But yeah, look, they got the script of Sonny. Sonny is one of those guys that has seen everything, done everything, knows everyone. So it's just like, he's not very, you can't impress him with Hollywood, you know? Like it just, this is a guy who spent 10 years with Michael Jordan and signed Grizzled. Grizzled. Yeah, yeah, and, and... Seen it all. Exactly. And there have been Sonny Vaccaro projects that have come close to going and fallen. James Gandolfini was supposed to play him for HBO. So it's, you know, he'd been down these roads before. Is there 30 for 30 on Sonny? Kind of, right? Yeah, there's 30 for 30. And actually the director of it, John Weinbach, works at Skydance. So that's kind of where that connection came in. So yeah, Sonny read the script and uh, I drove down to Palm Springs where he and his wife Pam live and basically just sat at their table and went through the whole script, you know, and like, there's a lot we got right. There's a lot we got wrong. There was stuff that was really important to Sonny that got in there. There's stuff that was in there that, you know, didn't matter so much. So it, look, a lot of this was just establishing a foundation of trust, you know, and making sure that he knew we were doing this for the right reasons and telling the story the right story here. You know, again, this is when things are as successful as the Jordan deal ended up being, acrimony enters the picture, right? Because everyone wants their due credit and wants everyone to know that they were in the room and they said this and that person didn't do that. And that's what happened here. You know, like pretty much every character in this movie had a falling out within 10 years of the events of the movie. So that part made it difficult too, because there's just a lot of, I wouldn't even and call it bad blood, but there's just, it's the Rashomon of shoe deals, right? Where it's like everyone has a slightly different version of, of what happened, which ultimately uh, is why... I'm sorry, Alex. Yeah. Are they sad about that? I think, like everything, time was the ultimate remedy for this. You know, we're skipping ahead a little bit in the story, but, but Ben ultimately, you know, flew up to Nike and showed the movie to Phil Knight and the, you know, the executives at Nike and... and I was very scared about that because I did not think Phil Knight would like the movie because we didn't have Nike's permission to do it. You know, Ben made a very distinct choice in how he was playing Phil. This is an interesting point in Phil Knight's career where this kind of like maverick shoe salesman has now taken a company public and has like a board to answer to and can't like... He's trapped, right? He's sort of half maverick, half corporate. That's it. Yeah. You know, look, I think Ben played it great, but if I was Phil Knight, I'd be like, all right, like, you know, like you're playing it a little goofy and like I wasn't that out of touch, whether that's true or not, I don't know. But I, you know, I was nervous about that. You know, Phil, by all accounts, you know, like the movie and his big thing to to Ben was like, you know, we were all friends, you know, we were all just trying to do something great. And, you know, greatness can bring, it brings greatness, but it brings a lot of pain too, you know? So I think it is, and Sonny said the same thing, you know, and it, it was especially painful that like, you know, Peter Moore passed away right as we were starting the movie and Rob Strasser, you know, died pretty tragically. So it was, I think, I don't want to speak for any of these people, but I think, you know, hopefully this movie is a way to kind of like document what happened and show that moment in time where they all were close and, you know, just guys in an office really who did something incredible. Yeah. This is going to sound a little maudlin, so I apologize. That's okay. I'm maudlin myself. They're, they're, They're used to it. There's nothing like one's own temporary existence yep. to sort of focus yep. the mind. So a couple things in there. 
Did you meet with Ben before Sonny or after? After. Interesting. So we, we had met with Sonny and, you know, he had kind of after that meeting officially came on board to do the movie. We got his life rights and I did a, you know, quick pass on the script just based on that conversation I had with him and his wife, Pam. And then we sent the script out to talent, you know, to, to make a movie like this, which, you know, are not movies that really get made at this scale anymore. It's just, you know, people in rooms talking and no one's know. wearing a cape. Yeah, that's that's yeah. it. There's no explosions, guns, you know, Thanos doesn't walk in. It's just, it's, um, it's actually a, at the very end there after the credit. No, well, yeah, if you stayed, you saw it. Yeah. Um, so to get this done and get a studio to say, we're going to finance a movie, you need a movie star, you know, you need people to put on a poster like that one or a great director. Right. So we went out to both. We had a short list of, of actors to play Sonny and then, you know, directors who, who could get a studio to finance it. You know, you do the short list and you just assume, okay, you know, all these people are going to pass on the movie and then we'll find whoever wants to do it. And, you know, we got back, went out to town over the holidays in 2021. We came back top of 22 and, you know, I just got one of those crazy calls. It was, you know, Ben has read the script, wants to do it and wants to meet. It's literally just a clear calendar Tuesday, you know, you're going to sit with him. Um, I'm busy. (laughs) <laughs> it's funny because I, I remember that phone call so when I said to the producers like I had some meetings you we'll have meetings like move it like so it's just yeah it, um, you're the person who wrote this thing on spec I finally got you a meeting yeah, yeah. exactly but look even just because Ben wants to meet doesn't mean the movie's greenlit and going right, right? like I, I I've been down this road a couple times with some other scripts that's like you know crazy names you sit with them and there's a million different times the movie can fall apart and again it almost happened on this one too you know, it's never like official until it's official, right? It's like, you know, sit with Ben and he's like, I want to direct the movie and, you know, Matt's read it and Matt wants to be in it. You know, let's go try and set it up. And the one thing he was very certain of was that he needed Jordan's permission to make the movie. Yeah. So I'm sitting there like, oh my God, like <laughs> right. Michael Jordan, like right, right. one I, of the I, 10 most famous people it's on just, earth. Right. And it goes back to what we were talking about too, where there's all these different versions of the shoe deal and who did what. And I'm like, I was just so skeptical that he would, it doesn't matter to Michael Jordan that any movie gets made, you know, he's Michael Jordan. You know, at the same time, Ben was like, we're going to go to him when everything is in order. You know, I don't want to go sit with Michael Jordan and tell him like, well, we think we're going to do this. And like, maybe, you know, this studio wants to make it. So like everything was in order. And then he flew and met Michael. It's a high stakes game. It literally, I, I don't know if I'll have another 24 hours like that in my life where I'm just sitting at my kitchen table, like trying to f- work on my next script, knowing that Ben is on a plane to go meet Michael Jordan and either, you know, this project is going to go and it's, you know, going to be my first movie with all these people. And it's just, you know, this crazy thing or more likely Michael would be like, I don't want to do the movie. And then it's like, <laughs> okay, like back to score one, you know, why do you think he said yes? I think it goes back to what we were talking about with Sonny, where we were all doing this for the right reason, yeah. you know, and, and that was, you know, Ben really handled really the whole process expertly, you know, like he went to Michael at the right time and we had all the answers to Michael's question and there was a willingness to listen and say what was missing. And that's how you get, you know, George Raveling in the movie who Marlon Wayans plays and, yeah. and Howard White, who Chris Tucker plays. And ultimately, you know, he said, I want Viola Davis to play my mom. It's like, okay, like, <laughs> I, I, do, I do too, you know? <laughs> that would be great, but like, you, just, you don't just go and get Viola Davis. You know, you're talking about like... <laughs> you do if you're Michael Jordan. Well, and that's the thing, you know? So it's just, it, it was, that's another phone call I'll never forget is like, phone call is like, great, we're good, we can do it. 
Uh, we need to get Viola Davis. <laughs> okay. You know, we need to add uh, Howard White to the script. We need to add George Raveling to the script. And, you know, we're at this point, we're five weeks out from shooting, six weeks it out. It was that close. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it re- truly, like, we went to, Ben went to Michael almost last just because you want to be able to have everything in a row and, and, so you, I'm sorry, you asked Viola Davis five weeks from shooting to be in the movie. Yeah, well, luckily, you know, I mean. Should you, I not say it like that? Well, <laughs> there's a couple of things, right? Like one, we were shooting in LA, so it made everything a little bit easier. Sure. You know, she's not flying to like Canada or overseas or anything like that. And two, you know, the way we did the movie was basically every you know, we shot for five or six weeks and every week you would basically one of the supporting characters would come in and you would do all of their scenes. So for Viola, it was basically like, can we find that window of time in June or July to come in and do it? And look, I like, like really everything with this movie, somehow it it worked out. (laughs) It's amazing. So let's tie it into why you're in this building. The old venerable Leo Burnett building. I was going to say, I, I'm surprised you have a screenwriter on like this business marketing well, podcast. <laughs> we're about to land the plane. Here, okay, so let's see if we. My boss might not be thrilled by how long it took me to get here. Um, so there's lots of themes in the film, mm-hmm. right? So there's, in my estimation, and again, this is a tortured English major from a thousand years ago. Yep. Like there's self belief, there's gut, there's yep. family, there's breaking the rules, there's doing something different. All those things are yep. in this. How much, when you were writing it, did because to me, it's a brand story. Yep. How much of kind of the business of brands and marketing, how much was that in your head when you wrote it? I like all of these kind of like big ideas about the movie. It's almost easier to see them in retrospect. Like when I'm sitting down to write, I'm really just thinking about the character and the world they're in and what is like, it's very like screenwriting 101 stuff, but like what's their goal? You know, what are the stakes? What stands in their way? And then, you know, you kind of, if it's done right, all of this other stuff kind of, you know, seeps into it. I mean, look, I did Red Shoe Dog, obviously, and and that's, I'm usually not like a business book guy, right? I just, they're ghostwritten, and it's just kind of like these hagiographies. You know, it's just, it's all very, like, self-serving. But I thought Shoe Dog was, you know, that's a book that really sticks with you. I mean, there's so many different parts of it that, you know, look, Phil Knight is just, he's a one-of-a-kind guy, I mean, for better or worse in a lot of ways. So that stuck with me a lot. And then I read this book, Swoosh, which, again, I'm not, I don't typically like books like this, but it, it's the unauthorized history of Nike, actually written by Rob Strasser's second wife, who Jason Bateman plays. Fascinating, fascinating book. It's like 700 pages, but it's one of those 700-page books you read in like a week. But look, I was really kind of discovering that document of those 10 Nike principles that I think influenced a lot of you know what you're talking about, the brand and the business behind the story. I mean, that first spec script, it had the title page. And then the second page of the document was the Nike principles. You know, it was just kind of like this foundational text for, you know, where you're trying to get at in the movie. And a lot of it is this arc of, for Phil Knight especially, it's like, this is a guy who was a maverick, was selling sneakers out of the back of his trunk. And, you know, like we were talking about earlier, suddenly this company is public and you have a board to answer to. And like, you can't, you're not allowed to be this, you know, break the rules guy anymore. There are like specific rules and there's Wall Street and all of it that you have to answer to. So to me, the arc of the movie is kind of Sonny's ability to get Phil to re-embrace those core tenants that allowed him to get Nike to where it was in the first place. And, you know, maybe for one last time, like roll the dice, take a chance and believe in your gut instead of, you know, practical common advice. It's interesting because that to me is one of the most important parts about the movie. And, and 
again, what do I know? But I think it's one of the great brand movies that I've ever seen. And I think that moment is important in that it provides the permission for all of what comes next yep. to create one of the great global brands in Nike of all time, right? Like none of that happens without this moment. That's right. And so they actually kind of, and I'm sure they have their own rules. I'm sure there's bureaucracy and whatever yep. it is, corporate stuff. But what they do in that moment is they reprove to themselves that this is how we do it yep. and that the renegade is actually part of the brand, that the principles yep. actually still apply. Exactly. And that for all the shareholders and for all the other things, that's what makes great brands is when they remember to themselves, yep. this is who we are. And yep. that to me is the most amazing part of the whole story. No, exactly. I mean, you know, that's part of like, you know, that one of those final scenes in the movie, it's like, no one else would have hired Sonny Vaccaro, you know, like it just, it, it is not someone who fits in naturally into an environment like that. And it's almost like Phil had to look in the mirror and remember that and listen to the person he brought in for that specific reason. Cause it is, it's breaking the rules done at like, you know, the highest level. And I mean, you're talking about gambling with $250,000 in 1984, you know, so it's, it was just such a huge risk and there's so many ways, like if Sonny had had that feeling about any other player in that draft, you're talking about Air Stockton or Air Turpin, you know, it's just like, it doesn't sound Air, the same. Air Stockton's hilarious. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. like it's, it's, it really is remarkable. Did he ever leave the ground? Uh, <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. It's really impressive. One of the things I think the movie does a great job of capturing is something that is shared between our two industries. And that is the notion of the pitch. Yeah. The tension of it, the weakness of it, the, oh, good Lord, we're screwed yeah. part of it. You know, the, the, the depths, the like depression of this is never going to work. Yeah. The elation of, well, it's in an hour. We feel good whether we're, whether we really feel good or we're going to tell ourselves we feel good. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that part of it. Yeah, I think there is something kind of universal in that. Like no matter what industry you work in, there's you've had some sort of like all important meeting or something you have to prep all weekend for. And like I it's like that when I'm pitching a movie, but even like you think back to your days in college when you're giving a presentation, you know, there is just this kind of like we're on the edge of the cliff and we don't know if the water is deep enough below, but we're gonna jump anyway, you know, because you have to. So yeah, that was one that was probably the hardest scene to write because like you're saying, the whole movie kind of leads up to it and it just, it has to land the plane in the right way. And it really was like kind of examining, okay, what is this movie about in a way and how can Sonny vocalize that without making it obvious? It's also an interesting kind of story you're telling where everyone knows the ending when you walk into the theater, right? It's a little bit like, you know, you know the Titanic is going to hit the iceberg, you know, you know Apollo 13 is going to land. So it's like, how can you still make the journey interesting enough where for a moment you ask the audience to kind of forget? But that notion of Sonny seeing into the future and kind of talking about Jordan's, the rest of his career, I just felt that because you walk in knowing the ending, you almost have permission from the audience to like, there's a bit of magical realism in it too, but it's to talk about, you know, everything you're saying, which is this idea of what lasts and what doesn't. And, you know, how do you climb the mountain one, but two, how do you make it down? So there's a line in the movie, it's a shoe is just a shoe until my son steps in it. So I'm probably the most, your, your biggest listener on all the uh, previous podcasts you've done. <laughs> sure. Talk a little bit about the magic of where screenwriting intersects the actor and how that line comes about. Yeah. So there was always this through line in the movie of like a shoe is just a shoe until someone steps into it. You know, that's, it was, you know, that scene where Strasser says it and then Sonny uses it in, in the pitch. And then, you know, Viola was supposed to say it at the end on that phone call. And, you know, we're just sitting there watching her work and um, just remarkable 
creation, you know, where she's sitting there on the phone and says a shoe is just a shoe. And then she improved until my son steps into it. And it's just like, it I, still gives me the chills, you know, because you're just sitting there like, oh my God, like one, why did I not think of that? <laughs> like how she's a better rugger than I am. But look, I mean, it's why she's the best because she so inhabited that character that in that moment, she just said it, you know, no one talked about it. She didn't come in that morning and say, I have an idea of it. It just, she just did it. You know, that's the magic of it. You know, they always say you make a movie three times, right? You write it, you shoot it, and then you edit it. And that's, that's such an example of that second part that like in that moment, she just found something that is in every single trailer for the movie, you know, like truly the line that sums everything up. So it's just like, yeah, sometimes you see that and you're, it's jealousy almost more than anything. <laughs> That's the most screenwriter answer ever. Yeah, exactly. Um, one of the things we take pride in in our company here is the energy and commitment we put into understanding human insights yeah. and culture. And it seems to me that a lot of what you've captured in this particular story are those same things, human insights and culture. Can you talk a little bit about your process for how you capture those? Yeah, I mean, it goes back a little to what we're talking about, where it's like you try not to get too big with where you're going with it. You know, you really just focus on the character and where they're at at that moment. You know, what I always liked about Sonny was just how universal his character could be. You know, like uh, same thing we were talking about with the pitch. Like we've all been where Sonny was at some point, right? Where it's like, no one's going to listen to me. I have this crazy idea. Like I wish I had more say wherever I was. So I just, there's something so appealing in that. And I think, you know, the best movies you know, speak to something universal, but are captured through, you know, specificity more than anything. So it was just something about him always kind of called to me and, and Dolores as well. And these two, you know, kind of everyday people on the opposite sides of this monumental deal who, you know, for a lot of reasons should have never been in those rooms, you know, but there's like a beauty in that. And I think a lot of the movie is kind of what we were talking about earlier is, is examining why do any of us go to work? You know, it's like, what's the point? You know, it's, 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 um, the movie is this kind of moment where the right people were in the right room at the right time. And that happens so rarely in life, but it can happen. You know, you're talking about how big the brand is now and how, you know, it's a household thing, but it started from these very kind of humble beginnings, like any office anywhere, you know, you're just in a conference room with your coworkers, you know, something great can come from that. Yeah, it's the magic of that possibility. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's very real in this. Part of it is because of the time, right? It's a different time. And you can feel that. I think, I'm not going to say I think Ben captures this because that makes it sound like I know Ben and I don't. <laughs> I think Mr. Affleck captures this uh, in the movie. Yeah. Um, and that moment makes it feel more possible than I think sometimes it feels now. But I think you're exactly right with that. So you're here in front of these gathered wonderful people, some of the best and brightest we have. You've been on a journey this has not been an easy thing. Nope. What advice would you give them as it relates to sort of what you've learned getting from, you know, feeling like you're almost going to make it and then it all falls back down the hill and like share with them a little inspiration if you might. Well, there's so much, you know, I mean, like my biggest lesson over the last 13 years since I moved to LA was like, there's no finish lines. You know, there were so many moments where I thought, oh my gosh, I've made it, you know, from like, getting an agent and manager, right? And it's just like, nope, you got to keep going. Making the blacklist. Nope, keep going. Like, oh my God, this movie star wants to be a movie. Nope, keep going. It's just like, now it's like, hey, you have a movie made. It's like, what's the next one? You know, it's just like, you, you, you just keep going. And I think, I mean, in Hollywood specifically, it's so much of the result 
as a writer is out of your control, right? So it's, I can't decide if someone wants to make my script or not. That's not for me to say, it's for someone else to say. That could drive you insane, but you know, the other way to look at it is just, as long as you focus on the process, then you can't emotionally invest in the results. You know, if you feel that you've done, and again, like this sounds like, you know, it's an inspirational push you put up on the wall. And I, I kind of hate that. But at the same time, like I really have come to believe it that, I mean, look, these other two scripts that were on the blacklist, I like those just as much as I like air. I do, you know, like, but those didn't go and that's okay. You know, like I still am happy to have written those scripts. The other big thing on this one was just like truly trusting your gut. You know, I like we're talking about there's, this was the worst idea to spec. Like it really was. There's just such a small percentage that it turns out that the way it did, but it can, you know? So it, it was a real lesson in even if everyone else is going to tell you you're crazy, even if you're telling yourself that you're crazy, if your gut is telling you keep going on this and there's something worthwhile there, then that typically is the best voice you can follow. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. All right. We have a little bit on this podcast. It's obviously world renowned called takes. You don't have to laugh that hard, Alex. All right. Um, Called takes and faves. These are rapid questions. Yep. Small answers. I give long answers. So this is like could be a disaster. (laughs) All right. Favorite album artist of your youth. Gosh, the first band I really loved was U2 and the Joshua Tree. So that's probably what I would say. Welcome to Generation X. Yeah, exactly. Um, Best concert you've ever seen? You two at the United Uh, Center. (laughs) Again, you you and I got to talk later. We had basically uh, 50. Yeah, we had tickets for the floor and like that specific tour. There was like, you know, there's a circular stage and like one in 10 tickets got to go inside. And I'll never forget being in the line for the United Center. And my dad scanned the tickets. It's like, boom, we're in the inner circle. So that's something I'll, yeah, I'll never forget. Have you ever seen Springsteen? Yes, my dad is like the biggest Springsteen of all, fan of all time, which is like, you know, that scene in the movie about born in the USA and playing it at the end. That was especially gratifying knowing that. Yeah, my dad's probably seen I skipped the soundtrack question, times. but I will say this. Yep. The soundtrack to this movie is like in my heart. Like it, it is now again, I'm an old man, but yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, growing up as someone it. who had like all the CDs from all the movies I yep. loved, it's like I never thought I would write a movie that had a soundtrack. You know, it's just not something you'd think this about. This soundtrack's kick ass. No, it's, yeah, it's, it's been a cool part of it. All right. Favorite bar in Chicago? Probably something in Wrigleyville. Like, I, my favorite Chicago experience ever is going to the Friday 120 Cubs game, sitting in the bleachers, and then walking to, you know, sluggers or doing pianos. And like that, it's so quintessential Chicago and there's nothing else like it in the country. I sense some head nodding out here. There's, there's more than one person out here being like, oh yeah, no, that's yeah. what I'm doing tomorrow. No, like um, when I, I try to come back to Chicago around a Friday Cubs game, like if I can, I'll, I'll fashion a trip wisely. around it. Not necessarily in person, but favorite Michael Jordan game another great one. I saw a Jordan playoff game once in my life. We'd get to go to one Bulls game a year growing up through my mom's work. She'd get tickets to one game. We almost could never go to the playoffs, but for whatever reason, during the last season, the last dance, uh, game two against the Hornets, we got tickets to. So my dad will always say, you saw Michael Jordan. There's a picture. I, I mean, I was six or seven years old of him holding me in front of the Jordan statue that, yeah, it's just like one of the, just a treasure. <laughs> sure. Yeah, my treasures tomorrow night. I'm taking my daughter to Springsteen for the last arena show in New Jersey. So no way. There yeah. you go. Way. I'm assuming you're a Chicago sports fan. I, I should have. Yeah. Okay. Best singular moment as a Chicago sports fan. 
I haven't had many, you know, <laughs> that I remember, you know, like you grew up in the 90s and it's like, oh my God, the Bulls will always be good. You know, the last Bulls game I was at the United Center was the Derrick Rose buzzer beater against yeah. the Cavs. And that's probably like the greatest in-person sports moment I've seen. And it was like, oh my God, we're finally going to beat LeBron. And that didn't happen, but that <laughs> moment was great. I, I'm trying to think. I was at game seven of the Hawks-Kings. That was a heartbreaker, double OT loss. Were you in town for the Cubs? No. You were out in LA? No. I went to game five in Dodger Stadium. Okay. The Cubs won that game. Lester pitched a great game, and I think Addison Russell hit a two-run homer. So I was at that game. But no, in person, it's... uh, Gosh, yeah, few and far between. It was also at week 17, Bears-Packers, the Randall Cobb 48-yard touchdown, like literally in my face. My father-in-law is a Packers fan, like screaming in my faces. <laughs> That's most of my Chicago memories are pain and misery. <laughs> I, I want to be clear. That's the most on-point Chicago sports answer yeah. ever. That was very well done. All right, what we're going to do now is we've got a couple minutes because Alex has got to run out and actually do, oh, I don't know, a media outlet somebody's heard of. And so just a couple questions or two from the audience. Yeah, right there. You said as a writer, you don't have a lot of control, or you have some control, but to an extent as far as the final product. Yeah. If you could, after watching it back, add anything back into the movie or change anything, what would you... There were a couple of things I really loved about the script that got cut for various reasons. My favorite was probably the origin of the Air Jordan logo. So there was a scene in the script where Sonny is flying home from North Carolina after he visits the Jordans. And he's sitting on the airplane and is kind of tired, like trying to sleep for the first time in the movie. You know, the flight attendant comes out and is like, do you want some peanuts? He's like, no, I'm good. And then for whatever reason, he's like, actually, I will take some. And he grabs the bag of peanuts and there's plastic flight wings on it. And he just, you know, he takes the flight wings and puts it in his pocket for whatever reason. And then a couple of scenes later when, you know, he's working with Peter Moore kind of in the shoe lab, Peter sees the wings in his pocket and takes it out. And is like, wait a second. And then you kind of realize like, oh my God, that's where the logo came from. I miss that scene a lot. Now, there's a lot of reasons it wasn't put in, most, you know, primarily because to dress up a plane like it's 1984 and do that whole thing and go get a soundstage where you can do the plane. And, you know, you're talking, I mean, millions and millions of dollars. So it's like, I get why it wasn't in there, but that definitely was one where I'm like, "Ah, it hurts to lose that. That's a great question. Thank you. Great answer, too. And again, licensing United's wings. I'm just kidding. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, Another one right here in the front. Um, you talked about the soundtrack. What was the balance between you picking the songs and did you work with a music supervisor? Yes, yeah, so we had a music supervisor named Andrea who is an all-star. You know, they tell you not to put needle drops in scripts just because I don't know why they do because I, I put a lot of needle drops in. I was like, I'm not going to do just 1984 because that's like almost too obvious. I had some like, you know, hip hop in there and a lot of times it's when I'm writing, especially on spec, it's like, how is this going to read on the page? So the songs you pick are almost like ironic in a way or like wink, wink and like trying to make a joke out of it. And then uh, Ben's like, no, we're going to do all in 1984 and like just throw it in there. So um, I don't know if I should say this, but like the budget for the music in this movie is probably more than I thought the budget of it would be ever when I was writing the script. You know, I mean, it's just uh, it's funny you say that because I'm sitting watching it going, how did they pay for all this? Mu- yeah. The music is well, and, you know, you've watched the director's cut and it has temp soundtrack, you know, because it's like it's the director's cut. So they just put in like the dream stuff and you're sitting there like, OK, we're not going to get that. We're not going to get that. We're definitely not going to get that. And then you watch the final thing. It's like, holy crap, they got it all. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. Thanks. Great question. Another one back there. Yep. 
first amazing movie. I came to work on Monday. He can attest and told everyone to go see it oh, instantly. My question is, knowing that it's based on a true story, and obviously there's moments that, you know, only the Jordan family was in the room when they're doing the Converse deal, the Adidas meeting. Yeah. How did you best fill the gaps of that story without knowing what happened? Yeah, I mean, you know, you you do the best you can, right? So it's just like you have to feel like the research was done properly. And then, you know, look, obviously once the door shuts on these meetings, like there's no written document of them or record. So you, you know, you try to piece it together best you can. You also want it to be entertaining, right? So of course you're going to take some liberties here and there. I mean, I think the biggest thing in this is just condensing the time frame, right? I mean, this is a deal that takes, you know, months and months to complete. And just for the sake of the movie, we have it in like a week, just so it feels more like a heist movie and there's a ticking clock and all of that. But look, we got really lucky in that, we got, I got to sit down with Sonny. You know, Chris Tucker knows Howard White very well. He got to sit down with him. Ben obviously sat with Michael. So we got much more firsthand account on this than I ever really thought we could. But it's a balance, right? You want the movie to be as entertaining as possible, yet you also don't want to paint with like too broad a brush. You want it to be, you know, at the end of the day, it's like these were all the people that were involved and these were the conversations that for the most part happened. And as long as you're true to that, I think it's, you know, you, you just try to find like the essence of the moment. We've got one more over here. Yeah. Hey, uh, with these seasoned actors and their experience, and uh, was there some improv there? And how did you feel about that? Was that like, oh, this is my baby? I'm, I'm like Aaron Sorkin. Like, what are you doing? Or did you just kind of do you wake like, up in the morning and say I'm like Aaron Sorkin? Uh, I wish. <laughs> I'm like I wish I was like Aaron Sorkin. Yeah, there was a ton of improv, you know. And and part of that is just, and again, it always sounds like I'm kind of like blowing smoke saying this, but like when you go up and down the cast, like. These are all filmmakers in their own right, right? Obviously, Matt and Ben, youngest Oscar-winning screenwriters ever. Ben's an accomplished director. But Jason Bateman, right, who we're lucky to have in a supporting role. I mean, he's an Emmy-winning director. So to have him in, like, you know, kind of a thankless role, right? That's the role that's, like, supposed to, like, set up expositions. If we don't get this done, then this happens. So it's like, you know, he he brought, you know, kind of this beating heart to it. I mean, Viola and Julius, you know, they have... A huge production company that just made The Woman King, you know, which, which should have been up for Best Picture. They're filmmakers, right? And Ben is very much Best Idea wins. And, you know, as an actor himself, I think he really lets his performers go, you know? And it's like kind of what we were talking about earlier, right? You make a movie three times, like something can work great on the page, but then you're in the scene on set working on it. It's like, okay, that's not working as well. Like, let's lean into what is working. Like, Chris Messina in this movie is a great example, right? Like on the page, he was a crazy power agent, but like, you know, definitely wasn't as big and loud as he is in the movie. And it's like, once you, we started to see that on set and like how well that was working and the energy between him and Matt, it's like, just go crazy with it. Like keep going, you know, you can see it in the movie. Like Matt is literally on the other line laughing. Like he's totally breaking character, but it works because that is like the truth of the moment. Thanks so much, Alex. I can't thank you enough. This has been spectacular. Can we give it up for Alex, please? Thanks for having me. So you're a, you're officially an honorary Starcomer after this. Well, okay, perfect. We'll, there's a Where pla- do I get my badge? There's a plaque. We'll send it <laughs> okay, to you. Um, we're redoing the logo, so it's gotcha. going to take a bit. Yeah. No worries. All right. A little inside humor. Thanks so much for joining us here on Marketing. Make sure you subscribe, give us a like, and give us a comment, and we'll be back out to you real soon. This is a logistics podcasting. I have to say this at the end. Like, subscribe. Like, yep. subscribe. You know, smash. Thank you to our sponsors. Smash the like button, all this other nonsense. I don't know. Anyway, thanks so much. We'll be back out to you real soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.